0: All right is is that my cue, Michelle?
1: One second, we'll get right started. All right. Uh, good evening. Today is February twenty first, two thousand twenty two, and we are studying the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. This week's chapter and step is step eight into action, and our speaker tonight is Aaron Kay. Thank you, Aaron.
0: Thanks, everybody. Um, I really appreciate this opportunity to. Just be on this meeting that I love and do some service. And um, so, talking about step eight today as is, is the mission that I've chosen to accept. And before I get into all that, though, I will briefly tell you guys how it was for me, so that you know I'm one of the cool kids that qualifies to be here with you. Um, so, basically, I was pretty much you know I was raised by a, a single mom. Um, you know, on fast food and junk food. And so I developed this addiction pretty early in childhood. And I was well into plus sizes in my teens with all of the painful experiences that go with that. And then at the end of high school, I joined a gym, went on this crazy crash diet, was taking pills and supplements and dropped about 50 pounds very quickly. And then I was introduced to the completely new high, which is the external validation that I got from that rapid weight loss. And then I spent all of my twenties and thirties in basically this insane cycle between binging and restricting, compulsively exercising, taking pills that had me walking around with palpitations, eating, you know, entire jars of of peanut butter and half gallons of ice cream in a setting between my healthy, low carb calorie counted meals. And you know, gaining and losing the same 30 pounds over and over again. And you know, I felt like every day I woke up and I locked horns with the food. And even when I thought I was controlling it, it was still always controlling me. And then in tandem with the struggle to Control the food was this battle for control with the rest of my life. And basically, both of my parents are alcoholics. So I learned really young that number one, I couldn't trust the people that were supposed to take care of me. And number two, I had to be entirely self reliant in order to survive. And so I developed what I now lovingly refer to as my defaults of character. And basically, you know, I learned to control, hustle, and people please my way through life. And I see now that these were my survival mechanisms and I came by them really honestly. And I was actually pretty good at surviving. And to look at me from the outsider on paper, one might actually think I was thriving. But I got to a point about three years ago that I basically, I could not stop eating. Everything that I had done in the past to you know try to control and manage just stopped working. And I realized that even though I had you know, achieved all these goals that I set out for myself career-wise, I got to the point where I just didn't know how to be happy. And that's basically what brought me that combination. I can't stop eating and I don't know how to be happy. That is what brought me to the doors of my first meeting. And then I struggled for about two years. Um, one second, Alexa, stop. I struggled to find recovery for almost two years. And you know I did have a wonderful person sponsoring me and I was working the steps um, with the OA 12 and 12 kind of you know in my spare time answering the questions when I felt like it and I you know the only outreach calls I made were to my sponsor to complain about my life and you know one of the things is I never got entirely abstinent and because I, I felt like I, I thought I was special you know I thought that I could still enjoy control manage certain things that I was obviously addicted/ allergic to and as a result, You know, I was still using food to control and manage my emotions, and when when it was down, I was misery. It was white knuckled misery, and then I would just cycle, binging maybe about every two weeks for two years in program. And really, one of my main problems was that I was completely agnostic. You know, I'm a physician and a scientist, and you know, I just couldn't wrap my logical little mind around any concept of a, of a higher power or any kind of connection to a power greater than me that could help me with this problem. And I was really ready to give up when a dear friend, you know, introduced me to what I consider, you know, big book recovery. So I, she, she introduced me to the vision for you meeting. I started calling in, I introduced myself as a newcomer And I got an outreach call that turned out, you know, to be a huge turning point because I I spoke with a woman who was unapologetically agnostic herself, but she had found her own conception of a higher power that had worked for her and she was recovered. She had what I wanted and I hung up with her and I had this little glimmer of hope that maybe all was not lost for me and you know this you know we happened on vision this morning to be talking about the preface to the first edition you know about how bill and company wrote the big book to lay out precisely how they recovered and so i recovered precisely by following the steps as laid out in the big book in the order that they were written led through by a sponsor who had recovered by following the steps exactly as laid out in the book in the order that they were written. And what I discovered the second time through the steps was that the action steps four through nine have to be rooted in one through three in order to work. And when I tried to work the steps without reliance on a higher power, fully surrendered to that power, I could not awaken. I could not change psychically, physically, otherwise. Um, I spent a bunch of time before this trying to apply my intellect to solve this higher power problem, as I saw it, and trying to, you know, going through all these iterations, trying to define what I wanted this higher power to be and do for me in my life. And when I... Stopped trying to define what I wanted a higher power to be and do for me, and started focusing instead on getting out of self, focusing on what I thought a higher power would want me to be and do for others in this fellowship, in my life. Then it started to click for me. You know, when I stopped calling people to complain about myself and started reaching out to be of service to others. I really started to awaken to this conception of this power greater than me. Because every time I wanted to eat, I made a call and it was like magic. That desire just dissipated. And, you know, essentially, if I had to define it, my higher power, my conception of a higher power is just a force for good within and between us. And that's all I need. And I'm okay with the word God and any kind of pronoun you want to use, because it's all just a shorthand for this indescribable connection that I have with this force and with all of you. And I, you know, I, I think of it like, we're like a bacterial biofilm, you know, all of our little cross links make us indestructible biofilms are really hard to kill with the usual antibiotics. So, you know, once I stopped, questioning and needing God to make sense and I started talking to God and more importantly listening for intuition even though I felt like I was talking to thin air at first there was something powerful about setting good intentions out into the world about getting all of my fears out of my own head and surrendering my ego in that way and so you know the becoming entirely abstinent Letting go of all the foods, you know, weighing and embracing weighing and measuring. That was just the first surrender along a path of letting go of myself and everything I thought I know and thought I needed. And the steps are really what led me down that path of ego deflation. And for me personally, I think none was so important as steps eight and nine in terms of, you know, popping that ego balloon and you, these are the interconnected steps of identifying the harms that we've done to others and and trying to set things right by making amends. And it's funny because when I first came in, you know, I had some knowledge of 12 step programs because my parents are both alcoholics and I could not imagine how I had possibly harmed anyone else in relation to my problem with food. And that's laughable to me now because You know, at the time, of course, I didn't realize that my problem was not with food. It was with life and all the fear and resentment that I carried around with me like a bag of dead weight, you know, and so getting into the nuts and bolts of step eight, if you have done a thorough fourth step using the instructions precisely as laid out in the big book, really your harms are readily apparent because they come out in your inventory and the book tells us that. And most of mine came out of my relationship inventory, not surprisingly. And the, you know this program has taught me to challenge patterns of thinking that the world tells me are totally justified. But they're not, you know, I found it is not helpful to look at my relationships the way that the world teaches me to. And you know, this kind of comes out of the AA 12 and 12. But when we consider a broken relationship, we immediately, you know, just naturally focus on the harms done to us, and then we want to minimize any harms we might have done to the other person. But we have to flip it around. And so, you know, I'll use an example of a really powerful, you know, Step Eight and Nine, around uh, for for me personally which is my relationship with my dad. So I had a really broken relationship with my dad. So why? Here's the short story. He, he left my mom for another woman when I was young and he's also an alcoholic and I held a massive amount of resentment, self-righteous resentment toward him. And I viewed him only in terms of what I thought he owed me, what he hadn't done for me, but I worked through this resentment exactly as the big book instructed. And so for every little resentment that I listed out, I spent four times as much effort and thought into finding my part. And when it came time, you know, to, to take this into my harms inventory, I listed out the harm. So what I, what, what had I done? I'd spent my life wishing he was different focusing my you know on my resentment, my jealousy, on his selfishness and his self-centeredness rather than seeing the ways in which I had been selfish. I had been very focused on what he didn't give me in terms of time, attention, love, material things, rather than seeing and expressing any kind of gratitude for all of what he had given me, which was quite a lot when I thought about it. And, you know, I realized also harm I had done, I had treated him and my mom very differently. You know, I had applied kind of a different uh, ideals as a daughter to them. And also I had let all of my resentment boil up until it basically boiled over. And I totally unleashed all of my hurt feelings in this big, angry tirade over the phone it was, you know, it sparked by a disagreement over the guest list to my wedding. And then I didn't talk to him for three months and we tried to work it out through email. And then we were just locked in this battle of wills because I could not make him see things my way. And when I realized he never would see things my way, I said, I didn't want to talk about it anymore. And we just shelved this issue and it became this huge elephant in the room of our relationship. And things were so broken by that point that he actually didn't come to the wedding. You know, he didn't walk me down the aisle. But I, in my fourth step, you know, I prayed the sick man's prayer for him in earnest many times over. And it really, truly changed the way that I feel about him now. And I know that there is a higher power because Nothing else could have changed my feelings about him. Nothing else could have done that. I really, all of that has dissipated. And I had the opportunity to take those harms that I, that I saw that I had done him and make amends. And I went into that amends without attachment to any outcome. And that's how I knew I was ready. And I prepared for it, by I wrote it out in a very simple letter. I, I vetted it with my sponsor, which is something I did with every amends. Um, and, and then I just, it, I was nervous as hell and we did it over the phone because he lives many states away. Um, but I, and I'm glad I wrote the letter and I'm actually glad it was over the phone because I could just read it. I could just read it. And today, that relationship is repaired. It is completely different than what it what it has been for most of my adult life. Um, I had to learn how to show him love and compassion in order to let myself receive it. You know that step steps eight and nine are really about forgiveness, and it's much as much about being able to forgive ourselves as it is others but that forgiveness you know that that forgiveness of self and being able to receive some kind of you know maybe you can call it grace from god or grace from higher power it really did start with me letting go and forgiving without needing him to ask for it i realized wow that's an amazing power that i have to forgive without needing someone to ask for it, to just give it freely. And then I can also forgive myself freely for the things that I screw up constantly all the time still. Um, You know, and the steps have done that for me, have given me this amazing power to forgive others and myself. And so now my dad and I talk at least once a week. And recently he told me that I'm the only person in his life that he can really talk to and he thinks genuinely loves him. And that's pretty incredible. <laughs> so, you know, and he, I'll, I'll talk about a couple of other um, examples too it, that came up in my step eight. So, you know, even in my actual closest and healthiest relationships, I had done harms. And, you know, I, I'm very close with my mom, but I had to make amends to her for, being judgmental about some of her life choices and first also selfishly using her as a sounding board to talk about all my problems with my dad. And you know what? I live that amends now that I've made it and I don't do that stuff anymore. I just don't do it. When the, you know, when the judgments come up, you know, it's please, you know, hand over my mouth. Um, I let those things go. I can't you know, I I just, it's, it's, I'm not her higher power. I also wanted to say too, that I mentioned it before I let my sponsor into, you know, all my harms and all my amends. And she was awesome about it. It was crucial. That's two minutes. Okay. Um, You know, because if I had not discussed these things with her, I would really continue to be stuck in my own My own way of thinking, my own assumptions about how I needed to make the amends or or how things were going to go. You know, one example is I'm divorced. And when I split from my ex husband, you know, I had had a very close relationship with his parents. And I basically, the harm I did them was that I totally ghosted them after we separated. And I never had the balls to reach out and say, I'm sorry if I hurt you. And I was completely convinced that these people hated me and that I might actually be doing a harm by reaching out to make the amends. But my sponsor said, you know, and I wanted to make this amends anonymously somehow. And she didn't let me off the hook. You know, she said, you can't skate on this one. This was not an anonymous harm. So you can't do an anonymous amends. So I wrote them a letter fully expecting I would never hear anything back. And, you know, um, about a week afterward, my former mother-in-law emailed me saying, you know, thank you. It took a lot of courage, I'm sure, to to admit this and write this. We hold no ill will toward you. And basically kind of have a nice life, you know. And that was like, that blew me away only because Guys, I had been so convinced, I knew exactly what was gonna happen. But when you live in other people's heads, you're playing God. And thank, thank God I'm not God. I don't have to be my own God. I don't have to do that anymore. I have a higher power and you guys to help me get out of my own thinking that gets me into trouble. That's time. And hey, that'll be my time. So with that, I'll pass and thanks for thanks for listening.
1: Thank you so much, Erin, for your service and your wonderful and beautifully shared experience, strength and hope. Okay. uh, we will now open the meeting for questions or for three minute shares. As this is a big book study, sharing and questions should relate specifically to the chapter and the step being studied this week. We ask you to accept this guideline in order to keep the meeting on track. If you'd like to share or ask a question, please raise your virtual hand, which is under reactions, or star nine on the phone, and the Zoom host will call the raised hands in order and ask you to unmute when it's your turn. With the timekeeper, Lita, please set a timer for three minutes for each share and announce when time is up. If the speaker is asked a question, please allow three minutes for the answer.
2: Okay, we're gonna. Hi, my name is Joy. I'm a compulsive overeater in New York. Um, Amy B, I think you are the first one. I'm gonna go ahead and unmute you.
3: Thank you so much, Joy. I appreciate it. Thank you, Michelle, for your service. Thank you, Erin Kay, for that incredible share on Step 8. And um, the piece about um, you don't have to wait for somebody to ask to be forgiven and the way that applies to ourselves as well. Um, Step 8, wow. Uh, God's timing, God's timing is always right. Um, I step eight is is one that I I think I blew past a little too fast the first time. I thought it was just make a list and become willing, and it's one of those things I've always kind of felt like willingness is like you, you just do it. I I'm never really willing, so I just am. Um. But I, but, I, but I didn't give it fair space the first time um, really thinking about, and the AA 12 and 12 really talks about the what can be gained from the exploration about becoming willing to make amends. And um, I think a lot about how the word is amends, not apologies. Amends might include an apology, but an amendment I mean, an amendment to like a document or a or or a constitution or a, or a charter is a change to governing principles. Um, so becoming willing to make a change to my governing principles means a look at how I've been governing, how that's been lacking, what principles are guiding those, and and when I haven't stuck to those, and I'm in a space right now um, where. I have made some apologies that were needed to be made, eagerly made the apologies, but that's not an amendment to my governing principles in that relationship. And that's gonna take time. And because I care about the relationship, I need to take time in crafting that and considering, considering what I really can, what governing principles I can operate under and still be my authentic self who is a human being and an addict and doing my best and sometimes the goals I might set for myself just aren't maybe as day-to-day realistic and as a governing principle like as a rule and step eight I'm just, I'm I'm really, I'm grateful to this meeting. I'm grateful that that the group decided to give Step 8 its own week because um, it's feeling really monumental. And again, I uh, I have missed you all so much. I'm so happy to be here and I pass.
2: Thank you so much, Amy. Um, Tony P, you're up next. I'm gonna ask you to unmute.
4: Hi, Tony Compulsive Overeater. Erin, thank you so much. I've never heard you before. You know, for me, step eight and nine go hand in hand, you know, but when I write out my eighth step without editing it, because I know the ninth step is coming, that's where the recovery is for me. And I, I have this very dear friend of mine who isn't in program, and we both used to work at this very busy Italian restaurant out here. And we were talking and she was saying, remember when we used to use the coupons and keep the cash and blah, blah, blah? And now she's a friend of mine, almost 30 years. I said, yeah, well, I, you know, I went back and made amends for that. She goes, what do you mean? And I said, I took the cash, spoke to a manager, apologized and gave him the cash and, and went on with my day. Cause I learned short, sweet, quick. This is what I learned in these rooms. It's not the third act of AIDA. And she goes, well, what if he didn't turn it in? I said, that's not my business. Doesn't matter if he took it to the strip club, (laughs) that's not my business. And that's what I learned in this room. You know, when they say it's, it's a simple program, but it's not easy because it is simple. Keep it simple. I don't have to think about that anymore. I don't have to keep spinning about what other people are doing and trying to manipulate them because that's step eight and nine for me. If I don't open my mouth and tell somebody how I think they're doing everything wrong and this and that. And I don't have to do a step eight and nine. If I just zip it, take that broom and keep sweeping my side of the street. So I'm glad to be here. Welcome back, Amy B. <laughs> Bye, thank you.
2: Thank you so much, Tony P. And next we have Nancy P. Nancy, I'm gonna ask you to unmute.
5: Hi everybody, Nancy P. Also thrilled that Amy B is back. What would we do without Amy? Um, so yeah, I think I think eight and nine are like the six and seven of amends, you know, like you know, like character defects, they do it in two steps. said we were ready and then pulled the trigger, basically. And eight and nine are like that, except with amends, right? We first, we were ready to get rid of our defects and then we pull the trigger, get rid of them. So eight and nine are like, said we're ready to make amends, then we pull the trigger and make amends. And, you know, I I don't think this is because Amy B was gone, I'm joking. (laughs) Maybe it was because she was gone, but I had some, you know, some stress over the week. And, um, you know, I was actually in my car Um, writing, you know, entering the data from my husband's car to get the, you know, pay by phone, whatever, the park by phone thing, the app. And somebody hit my car. I was in the car. So I get out and I said, you hit my car. She said, I did not hit your car. I said, you did hit my car. (laughs) Back and forth a little bit. And she was this woman that was, you know, obviously like very economically challenged, you know, didn't speak much English. And she kept calling me um, my friend or something. She kept calling me honey, or something. And she said, "Jesus is watching you, and is taking care of you." And I didn't hit your car. And I said, "I don't really care about Jesus, but you did hit my car." And then I called her, my sweet friend. Now you got to understand, I was never happy unless somebody was crying. You know, that's what I wanted. I wanted someone to be crying, and to be as enraged and feel as helpless as I did. But that what the good news is. Also, probably because Amy B is back. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> is that this is now a working part of my mind? There's not a space where that gear is anymore. That my mind goes clunk, 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 over, stumbling, wrecking things, bulldozing, lawn mowing. It just doesn't. I mean, I don't, I can't say that the whole altercation. It wasn't even an altercation. It was like a you know, a spirited discussion. But there was no swearing, no screaming, no threatening, no nothing. And I finally said, you know what? I said, I took a picture of her license plate. I said, this is actually my husband's car. I'm gonna take it home and he'll decide what he wants to do. And that's the end of it. And then I went to the grocery store um, and I came back and, you know, I was done with it. That's what, that's what the ninth step promises me as long as I'm doing the eighth step correctly. And so, you know, and I approached all of my amends that way. Um, you know, I got to say that my the ones that I made were gratifying, but much more importantly, I mean that's now in the rearview mirror. This is a program to live day to day, and so, you know, the amends and the thinking that's that I do. Work, I'm going to finish up the, the amends in the way that I think about doing them is coming from a completely different place because I'm healed. I mean, it, you cannot buy this stuff. You can't imagine it. You couldn't write a screenplay about it. The reality, with that I'll pass, thank you.
2: Thank you, Nancy P. Next I'm going to ask Anne L to unmute. Go ahead, Anne.
0: Uh, my name's Anne Postable Um You know, I'm gonna pass right now, thank you.
2: Thank you so much, Anne. Um, Wendy PB, you are up next. I will ask you to unmute.
6: Hi, can you hear me? Not only do I look like I'm in outer space, but I look like there's the sun on my head. Hi everyone, I'm Wendy PB, a grateful uh, recovered compulsive overeater in Chicago. Um, And um, I loved hearing the lead on step eight. And it's, it reminds me of something that I've experienced over the last 24 hours. Um, One of the people that was on my list was uh, one of my brothers who uh, like me was very, very affected by growing up in an alcoholic home. And um, I, it it was gonna be hard for me to make amends, but um, I, bit the bullet and wrote the letter and sent it off. And um, I did hear back from his wife, but he has never responded to me. And he never um, has acknowledged that I made amends. And there is no contact anymore. And because he's a family member, I, I felt guilty over that, even though, you know, I tried to make amends with the right spirit. And yet, you know, there's a, there's that feeling in the back of my head that said, oh, you know, this is, this is your brother, you should, you know, you should repair this relationship, but I did my part, and, and that's all I can do. And, um, this weekend was my birthday, and I had my belly button birthday, and I had so much love in my life yesterday, I, um, my husband, my stepdaughter, um, Many, many, many OA fellows, um, just so many and people, other friends, people from Facebook that I know, former coworkers, just so much, um, just so much. And I realized um, I can either focus on all of this love that has been brought into my life or I can focus on this one thing that isn't the way I think it should be. Um, and the choice is mine. And so even though amends don't always go the way we hope they do, um, you know, God is always with me and us and always showing us, um, just the grandeur of his world, right? Nothing happens in God's world by mistake. So, um, I was really grateful to hear about step eight and and you know sort of step nine as well um, just to kind of help me put this in perspective and say you know it's okay to turn this over it's okay. that's time thank you thanks, thanks.